Good morning, All Shore. So good to be here with you today. I want to invite you, if you're here with us in person, will you stand and join us as we worship together this morning, just inviting the Holy Spirit of God to come and meet us. As the Spirit was moving over the water, Spirit, come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. As the Spirit was moving over the water, Spirit, come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. Come down. Spirit, when you move, you make my heart pound. When you fill the room, you're here and I know you are moving. I'm here and I know you will fill me. Come down. Spirit, when you move, you make my heart
you join me in prayer? Oh God, it's so good to be in your presence this morning. And Lord, we just proclaim that song to you. We give you the highest praise. And God, we just come before you and we we admit to you that there are days and times that, that we don't do that. We, we put other things in front of you. We give other things higher praise. But today, God, we put a line in the sand and we tell you today we give you the highest praise because we are more than conquerors. And Lord, there are many of us here today who might be in a place where it just doesn't feel like we can do that. But God, we know we have the assurance of our faith that no matter whatever we're facing, whatever the depth of despair we feel, God, we can step and live above that and give you praise in every moment because God, we know that you're there for us, that you desire that relationship with us, that God, you want the best for us. And so whether we're facing something difficult today or God, we can easily give you that praise that we've just sung about. Lord, we just give this time over to you this morning. God, we tell you today that we lay our hearts before you and we are open and available and willing and just wanting you to move and to transform and do the work that only you can do. God, we're thankful for again, again for this time today. And Lord, as we do each week, we pray for other churches and other expressions of faith around us. We pray for Covenant Life Church this morning. God, would you go before them? Would your Holy Spirit move in their midst to do something miraculous in them? We ask your blessing upon them. And we pray, God, that you would do something incredible in their time together today also. And then we also pray for Noah and for Kennedy Reynolds. God, as a minister in Thailand, would you continue to provide for them provision? God, would you give them what their needs and their desires are? And Lord, would you go before them and just help them to find favor with those that they're working with and around them? And then finally, Lord, we pray for the rest of our service this morning. We know we're beginning this new series. We're excited to learn and to grow and to be open again. God, we just tell you we're available today for you to move in our hearts. And so, Lord, we, we pray and we lay the rest of our time together before you. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Well, again, if you're here in the sanctuary, you may take a seat. It is so good to have you here on this sunny, beautiful summer morning. We wanna say a special welcome to those of you who might be guests with us today. We're so glad that you're here. Maybe you're even joining us online and you're new to All Shores. And we just wanna tell you, we would love to get connected with you and learn a little bit more about you as you've gotten to know us a little bit. And again, the best way that we know how to do that is for you just to reach out and to fill out our connection card. And you can find that on the chair back in front of you. Or if you're watching us online, again, you can also find that online. You just scan that with your phone and it will take you right to our connection card. And an encouragement I would just share for the rest of you, if you aren't a guest, it's a great way to stay connected and let us know what your needs are if you're a regular part of All Shores. So maybe you're wondering, hey, what does it mean for me to even get deeper connected? Uh, again, just a great tool to reach out, and one of the members of our team will get back in touch with you and hopefully do what we can to help you in whatever need that you might have today. Well, we have an exciting event coming up. This happens every year. You're going to see a guest that you're probably going to know and see as a familiar guest here in a few moments. But before we have her come up, we want to show you a brief video about an event that we're going to encourage you to be a part of. So take a look at the screens this morning as we show that. Our world right now is so divided. We're so broken as a humanity. We're here for such a short amount of time. 
And why not? Why not come together? And let's change our world. Little children have to, you know, walk miles to get the dirty water. So it's like, my gosh, how can we not do this? It's affected my relationship with God through community, understanding that we need each other to do what God is calling us to do. Hey, it's been amazing. The friendships really that we've has. built, the confidence. I'm 54 years old, never thought I'd be doing a marathon. I am a little old to be out here running. <laughs> I'm running this marathon with my son. This is our first one together. World Vision has transformed the way that our family works together. One of the most amazing things that we can kind of instill in our kids is empathy for others. You're doing something to help out others, but there's also something that God is doing in, in our hearts. Hey, everybody. It feels so good to be back home. If you don't know who I am or you don't remember me, which is fine, my name is Mallory. I was one of the kids' pastors here for years before I felt God call me to World Vision this past fall. And you know, in the nonprofit world, we are not supposed to have favorites. We're not supposed to have favorite church partners. But I got a secret. <laughs> I may have a favorite, and it's definitely you guys. <laughs> you guys are my favorite. You guys are incredible. Yes, give yourselves a hand. You're not just my favorite because you're my home church, which you are, but also because this is a generous church. You guys are incredible. You step through fear and you obey what God calls you to and you get outside the four walls of this building. And starting in 2014, people within our congregation started doing just that. They stepped through their fear and they started doing something that was bigger than themselves and they invited their friends and their family and their neighbors and sometimes strangers into it with them and people have raised through this church over $200,000. That's incredible. Yeah, give yourselves a hand, that's great. That's over 4,000 vulnerable kids that don't have to take the six kilometer or five, about four mile walk to get dirty water to drink. Dirty water that would make them sick. Dirty water that could potentially kill them. And so while I'm here to celebrate with you, I am here to make a big invitation to you as well. I'm gonna invite you to do two things. The first one is to train for the half or full Grand Rapids Marathon this coming October. And the second is to help me end the global water crisis. You might think that sounds absolutely crazy. And when I first joined the team, I thought so too. But what's actually crazy is this. You're gonna see a picture of my cute kids here in just a second. So there's Dre and Claire. Everyone can say, aw, Dre and Claire, they're so cute. You might have seen them running around the church, sometimes creating mischief, that's okay. Um, so Claire and Dre, they're three and five. And kids their age, around the world and even younger, are walking these four miles every day to get the only water that they have access to. And it's dirty. And it has waterborne illnesses. And 50% of these kids don't make it to their fifth birthday because of this water. That's one of my two kids. That's half of our kids and short kids this morning. That's unacceptable. It's not okay. But we can do something about it. As we move our bodies, we move our feet, we fundraise. 
And while God does transformative work in us, he's doing incredible things around the world. Our team is made up of 80% non-runners. We call ourselves the back of the packers. We're really proud of that. <laughs> we are all shapes, all sizes, all abilities. We have a group of ladies in their mid-80s. They're going to be walking this together, some of them using their walkers. We have a nine-year-old that completed his marathon last year, fundraising for kids around the world that are his peers. My own husband, the Muskegon campus pastor, EJ, ran for the first time four years ago. This is his first time running in 15 years. He lost 65 pounds. And he has registered for the New York City Marathon this year to, to fundraise. Yeah, it's incredible. I know. <laughs> and just this last week, we had a couple in their 70s. The wife is in a wheelchair, and the husband is going to push her the entire way. And I myself am absolutely, 100% undoubtedly, not a runner. But I am moving my body this season right alongside all of you who are going to join too. Uh, for clean water, because it's important, because it's not okay that these kids are having to walk these distances for water that will make them sick. And so you might be thinking, this is for the person next to me, this is for my spouse, maybe my kids, maybe me when I was like 10 or 15 years ago. But there might be a small whisper in your brain right now. It might be saying, hey, you know what? I think you can do this. I think you have to do this. I'm going to listen to the small whisper. I'm going to step through fear. And so what am I asking you to do this morning? Exactly. Just come hang out with me for less than 10 minutes after service. I'm going to be right here, right down front. You cannot miss me. I'm in orange. And so I just want to see you. I want to talk to you a little bit. Coming to the info session does not mean that you're automatically signed up for the team. It just means you want to know a little bit more, and I want to share that with you. Again, I'm so happy to be here this morning, and I love seeing all of your faces, and I hope to see a lot of them after service as well. So we have, we have partnered with World Vision for a long time. And you, if you haven't done this before, I just know a lot of our folks who have done it, and it's just a very meaningful experience. So make sure that you come down, see Mallory after the service today. And I believe you have even stuff to give out, free stuff. I have no idea whether she's actually going to do that or not, but it looks like there's free stuff down here. So come on down afterwards and take a, take a few moments with Mallory. I just want to remind you, too, that this is the time in our service when we recognize our time for the offering. If you came today prepared to give, you can do that in the boxes in the foyer on your way out today. Or, as always, you can do that online. And, again, we just tell you every week, we're just so thankful for your faithfulness and your giving. Uh, and so just want to remind you, if you're able to give and willing to, that's two great places to be able to do that this morning. Well, as I mentioned earlier, we are headed into a brand-new series and so we want to encourage you to just take a look at the screens and learn a little bit more about where we're headed over the next few weeks. No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. Well, again, I want to welcome those online and all of you here in Spring Lake. And in just a minute, I'll invite you to pray before we uh, open the scriptures. But I, before we do that, I want to introduce to you today Olivia Johnson. Olivia is coming to us for a residency for two years 
in case you're not familiar, bless you, sorry, I just heard that, I just had to go, uh, that uh, one of the things we do in partnership with our movement, so as a part of our regional leadership, uh, we work together for young adults who've completed ministry training to have an opportunity at a church to serve and cultivate and grow and contribute. So Olivia, tell us uh, what area you're going to be serving in as we look for the next few years. Yeah, well, first off, thank you so much for having me and for everyone who's been so hospitable and welcoming and sweet to me already. Just thank you. Um, but yeah, I'm going to be working with the outreach team mostly, local outreach with all the campuses and communications as well these next few years. Yeah. That's great. We're thrilled about that. And tell us where you, you're from. Yeah, again. I'm originally from Corning, New York, but I just graduated from Indiana Wesleyan University in December of last year. So from New York to the cornfields of Indiana. Yeah, a bit of a switch. It's wicked awesome. But it is wicked awesome. We're so glad that you're here, and I do want to pray for you. And just had a, a way for us to get to meet you to start off with. But let's pray for Olivia. Lord, we thank you for Olivia that you brought her here for this season and to be part of our family and part of our serving culture. I pray, Lord, that she would uh, enjoy what you have for her, that she would contribute, and we would be affected, informed, and cultivated and growing from her influence. In the same way, I pray that we will bring that to her, that things will be shaped in her that you want for her. The relationships will be forged that move beyond just the season here too. We pray the blessing that her character will grow deeper than her gifts, but her gifts will follow. And pray great things for her, from her, and through her. And we uh, simply offer this up to you now and offer her up to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much. Let's welcome Olivia. Uh, before I invite you to pray, I just want to highlight one more activity that is tomorrow night. We have our core night uh, here in the Spring Lake campus at 6. So say, tomorrow night at 6. I'm going to be there. Oh, don't sound so lame about it. I'm going to be there. This, this is a very important event, and I, I want to explain it to you this way. It's a place we get to cultivate in you kind of what God is doing as we look ahead to the year. We give a bit of vision for where we are. We do this three times a year. And find it to be very encouraging and helpful. And even what we're going to talk about today, we'll have a few things that might help along the journey as we get into this series uniquely on being tempted to. But I want to encourage you to be with us tomorrow at 6. Now as we prepare to begin this new series, I want to invite you in the quiet just to pray. That we believe opening the scriptures, it's about God's revelation, not about information or persuasion. So whether you're with us with doubts, with skepticism, with struggle, whether you'd call yourself a follower of Jesus and be anywhere in the life of that from growing to struggling to atrophying, we just want you to ask God to speak to you honestly in whatever circumstance you're in. You pray in the quiet and then I will pray for us together. Thank you that you are a God of revelation. I thank you that you want to speak to each one here, each one online, each one with us today and that we'll watch later. Lord, I ask that uh, they would have a sense of how you love them and how you're for them and with them. And Lord, I'm praying very simply that you would move, you would speak, you would lead, you would encourage, you would transform. And Lord, as always, I pray anything that I ever say that's not from you, it will fall to the ground. It will be forgotten. 
but I'm asking that whatever is from you, that your very spirit would breathe life into us, would transform us, would encourage us, would fill us, would change us. I join with the psalmist praying the words I speak and the way we respond and our hearts and actions would please you, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. So before we get into the very topic of the day, this idea of temptation, I want you to consider it with me Desert Fathers. Now when I say Desert Fathers, it may conjure up all sorts of things. It's not something we talk about in church or really maybe even have heard. In fact, maybe you're going, Desert Fathers, or is that something new from Obi-Wan on Disney? Is that a Dune thing? Is that some other, I don't know what that is. De I mean, we don't talk about Desert Fathers. What does that even mean? But the Desert Fathers are a unique group in that it's about the third century after Jesus has risen and the church has begun its, its growth, its miraculous growth, through, uh, really through the Roman culture and particularly through Turkey and, and basically Greece and Italy, all through here around the, the Middle East and then into the, this area surrounding. Now during that time, the church begins to experience both persecution and then it begins a different way where it's becoming accepted by Roman culture to the point now it's getting confusing and confounded and chaotic. And so this movement begins of people that are deep followers of Jesus to say, I need to kind of remove myself from this and get to a different place. And they went to the desert. That's very simply what it is. When it says desert fathers, it's people that went. It would, maybe we'd even consider it part of the monastic tradition that grew out. But it were people that pulled away with a specific intention. And the reason I'm starting here, I want you to see a few things they say, is it often centers around what we're going to look at, which is a unique situation Jesus goes through in the desert. So I want you to hear just two simple quotes from the Desert Fathers to get us started and kind of set a broader picture for how we want to look at temptation and specifically how Jesus did. So this is one of them, Antony, a very famous one who said, he who sits alone and is quiet has escaped from these three wars, hearing, speaking, and seeing. But there is one thing again which, against which he must fight continually, that is his own heart. So one of the understanding that the desert fathers had was when you pull away and you move into the desert, you really create space to be yourself and discover what's really inside of you. That's the simple way of saying it. What's in his heart that we often have too much noise and too much chaos to discover it. Another desert father says it this way, if some temptation arises in that place where you dwell in the desert, in that place alone, don't leave that place in the time of temptation. For if you leave it then, no matter where you go, you will find the same temptation waiting for you. In other words, the temptation isn't in the quiet, it's revealed there. And if we don't learn to sit in the places of struggle, we don't actually find a way out of the struggle. I want us to start there because we're going to look at Jesus in the desert, but I want to start it this way before we go much further. So if you have a smartphone, I want you to pull it out for a minute. I'm not going to ask you to do anything like to go online or anything, but go to your settings. I know this is true of the iPhones. I'm not positive with the Androids. And you should have a, in your settings, it should say screen time and just click that. And then almost all of us get this. But basically, if you look at the day and you begin to scroll back, you'll see how much time you're on your screen every day. I knew you were excited to do this, so I want you to just look at it honestly. I don't know if you know what the average is of people on, on their screens, but there's been a lot of research. Now, it's, it's primarily focused at younger adults who've grown up with this, and their average is between five and seven hours a week. 
or a day, not a week, a day, five to seven hours a day. Now, if you're older, you're like, those kids today, they don't know what to do. But I'm willing to bet as, an, as an, a seasoned adult, we'll call you, most of us are on that much too. In, in other words, you and I are on our phones, and the way I want you to think about this is we have constant stimulus and noise in front of us, just with the phones. Now, we can take other things too. So I was at a, a training this week. Thad and I were at the Billy Graham Center, and we were going over research of younger adults for this part of it. And they talked about these young adults doing it. And my first thought was, those kids do not know how to sit in quiet. And then as I began to not really enjoy what was being talked about, I pulled my phone out and started doing other things. I was like, oh. And what I realized is I'm losing sight of how to sit. And so this is the part I want you to, before we go anything into talking about temptations, I don't want to run past, we're going to look at the desert for a reason. You and I don't know how to sit in quiet. I'm just going to throw that out there. I don't know how much any of us, and we actually are, we literally are trained now to pull phones out as a very specific way, but many of us do multiple screens at a time, so we have overstimulation. Most of us don't know how to have any kind of quiet, and most of us, if we said a desert, we'd be like, you've got to be kidding me. Are you sick? And you know what words come to mind when we talk about quiet? Boredom. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. So I'm going to do a very simple exercise just to help us. Uh, I'm going to give us one minute, and we're just going to be quiet. And you set your phones down now so you don't, I got to check. I can't do anything. I don't know what to do. I'm going to literally, I, you can even close your eyes. I want you to just sit for one minute and see what happens in your own thoughts and in your own mind. Just pay attention to can you slow down? Is your mind racing? Kind of consider what's going on as I have you slow. Just one minute. Can you handle one minute? If you fall asleep, unless you're snoring, we'll let you go. It makes a lot of noise. You might wake and go, hey, zip it a little bit here. And you might want to see a sleep doctor about the apnea. So, so here's what I'm going to do. I, and I'll tell you this because we regularly do practices of silence. Uh, I'm going to just invite you to close your eyes and start slowing your breathing a little bit just because it helps you to slow down a little bit. Kind of just consider I'm trying to slow down, Relax. Kind of think it as you breathe out, you're breathing out the concerns and worries. As you breathe in, you're taking in God's very presence. Just speak to me, Lord. Just be with me. And I'm just going to give you one minute now of complete quiet. That's a minute. You know, when I, uh, when I had my first sabbatical, the first one I ever had was in 2015. I did a week at a monastery, a silent retreat, uh, and I had no idea how brutal it would be to just sit in quiet. 
I like to talk. I found myself talking to myself because I didn't know what to do. But I also found that by slowing down, it allowed me to begin to look at what's inside. And the reason I start here today is as we look at temptation and look specifically at Jesus in the desert and in the wilderness, it is a prerequisite to facing temptation and being helped by it to slow down enough to know what's going on. And so I can give you things to do to help you in temptation, but if it's just running at the pace you run and not learning to sit and slow down and live in a place that is self-examining, it's very limited. And even trying to discipline myself to speak a little more slowly today, because I'm still good old espressoed up and shot to go fast, but it's hard to slow down, isn't it? And so I don't want to run past getting into the detail of what to do and not consider. I'm not asking you to be monastic and go leave town. But if we really want to live lives that are rooted in who Jesus is and face difficulty and temptation, the way to it is through the desert. It's to a place that allows you to find out what's actually inside of you. And make no mistake, I'm, I'm picking on phones because they're a very particular technology that causes us trouble, but it can be other things. What happens are when you and I become uncomfortable, and there's lots of research playing this out, when we get anxious or get a moment of concern or a moment of struggle, we typically go to our phones because it gives us an endorphin response that keeps us from dealing with it but also limits the immediacy of struggle. In other words, our very lives of overstimulation prevent us from truly having self-examination but also prevent us from actually finding God in the wilderness. So I want you to consider this as we move into this passage where this is exactly what Jesus does. Now before we get directly into it, I want to go one text before, one part of the story before. We're in Matthew's account during this whole series There's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Each one give a different way of understanding, different aspects of Jesus walking the earth of his very death and his resurrection through it all. And so in Matthew's, I want to show you what happens right before Jesus is about to go and have this experience in the wilderness. Whether you even knew that was coming or not, some of you will. I just want to understand this is what happens right before. So in this particular section in Matthew 3, Jesus has found John, who John is called John the Baptist. He is baptizing people for repentance. And Jesus comes to him. John sees him and goes, oh, this is him. This is the Messiah. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, no. You need to baptize me, John. This is, for me, basically, it's Jesus aligning with being a Jewish man, aligning with Israel's plight and struggle, and literally being a representative of humanity to say, he doesn't need to be baptized to repent, but he's being baptized as a humbling and an identification with the lowliness of who these people are. So he just gets baptized, and this is what happens. As soon as he was baptized, it says in chapter 3, verse 16, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened. (laughs) I just always love this. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting on him. A voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. By the way, this is also a picture of God being both one 
and what we call the Trinity, three in one. God is distinctly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but he's one. So we have Jesus the Son in his humanity being baptized. We have the Spirit descending and filling him. By the way, this is an image of how Jesus will do his ministry. He doesn't just come and go, I'm God, I do ministry. He, in his humanity, the Spirit fills him and he lives out that way, which also is an identification for us when Jesus rises his spirit fills us that we live in the same dependent way. And then the father says of the son, hey, this is my boy. I am pleased. Now, why this matters in particular is Jesus to this point has not done a single act of ministry. In other words, he hasn't done anything that the father should be pleased at what he did. He's just there and present. And what the father is saying, I love my son, his being, not his doing. That's very important because you will find in any kind of struggles of temptation, we struggle with identity. It will always be a push for us to do something because we think everything that's in us is not enough. So here's where God the Father starts. I love my son. I'm pleased in who he is. That's our anchor point. Okay, that's where we start. The next thing that happens now after all this, after what we've just seen, is now he's going to head to the desert. Jesus will now be led by the Spirit. And he will be tempted, it says, in the wilderness by the devil. This happens after fasting 40 days and 40 nights. I always love this. He was hungry. It sounds like, hey, I had 40 days and 40 nights, you know, I'm not eating, not drinking. But after 40, I thought, yeah, I'm kind of hungry. That is not what that means. I just want to be clear. But this was a very painful journey of being in the wilderness and having an appetite the whole time, not being able to fill it. Now, now, this matters for us because of the picture it creates. There, there's a picture here we want to get of Jesus' appetite. Why is the Father connecting that for us? Why does Matthew want us to see this? Why does Jesus go to the wilderness? And I want to give you just some understandings that will help us. This is all going to lead us into addressing and dealing with temptation. So let me take you back between temptation and hunger, why there's a connection. Because the first temptation he's going to have is related to his appetite. If I take you to the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, God tells them you can eat of any tree you want except the tree of knowledge and good and evil. He says if you eat of that, you'll die. Don't eat that one fruit. Now what happens is the devil comes to them and says, why would you believe that? And this is what it says about Adam and Eve. They see the fruit. They see it's good for food. It's pleasing to the eye. And it's desirable for gaining wisdom. In other words, their appetite wants it. So they eat of it, of the wrong appetite, and it leads to the pain and the struggle of sin. It's interesting, James talks about what happens with temptation, who's one of our New Testament leaders. He says, desire in us, when it gives birth to sin, and when we act on it, it gives birth to sin. In that sin, when it's active on, gives birth to death. In other words, our appetites lead us to sin, and sin leads us to destruction. The appetite in us does not actually help us. It's destructive to us. So when Jesus goes into the wilderness, he's going there to address appetite. He's going there to go, all of us, as one part of this, will deal in the wilderness with what we hunger for, what we think will give us life, what we long for and crave and think will change us. So I want you just to consider with me, even from the minute we had alone and quiet, what do you think you hunger for? What appetites 
if you were to sit in quiet, if you were to really sit in your own desert, would you discover you long for and try to find your own way to meet? And let me just give you a few examples. You can have others, but some of us here, we have appetites for relationship. And what we do is we conform to what everything around us is so that we'll be accepted, but we're not truly accepted. It doesn't truly fulfill our hunger because all we are is connected as long as we abide by and live a certain way. Think, think about other appetites that we have. Some of us actually have appetites that are destructive, right? I mean, how many of us enjoy things and we eat them and you go, that was, tasted so good and now I feel so sick afterwards? Or how many of us, have you ever just had what you thought was the best meal of your life and you're like, I need now a wheelbarrow to be carried out from here and about two days to recover from what I just overdid? We actually have physical appetites that can be destructive and kind of take us out. And I would be remiss not to mention the issue of sexual temptation and appetite. And what I want to say about it is this. We live in a culture that is constantly identified through sexuality and sexualized life. It's actually how people identify now in their own lives that sexual appetite is how people think they are and who they are in all sorts of ways. But sexuality itself is an appetite that we've said we must live in. And boy, I ache just for our kids and grandchildren because it's everywhere in every way. And you're kind of overwhelmed by it all. How many of us have appetites for power or winning or just easing the stress and pain of things or attention or recognition? In other words, we all have appetites that we're drawn to and the way we discover it is literally in the wilderness. In case you don't know, the word here for wilderness that's used by Matthew is the same word that's used every time it says Jesus, and it says this often, Jesus went away to the lonely place to be with the Father. In other words, Jesus went to the wilderness to be with the Lord, to be with his Father. The wilderness, the place of quiet, the place of silence, the place of sitting and longing for and not so overwhelmed by. And the reason I want to keep going back to this is I can't tell you when I, and I love to ask people, tell me how you're learning to connect with the Lord. And one of the things I will commonly hear is, you know, I kind of, I listen to something on my way to work. I put something on when I'm doing this. I kind of have a quick thing I do here. I do it while I do that. In other words, I can't even slow down enough. I need to do it as a part of the efficiency of the rest of my day. But I bet if I pulled up your phone, you have four to six hours you're on that thing that is no way as productive. It's just distracting. And it's just a way not to face the appetites we have. So I'm going to keep saying it to you. If we can't learn to slow down, we won't discover how God wants to change and minister and work in us through our appetites. And we'll see two other sets of temptations in the next few weeks. Like I wish I could tell you there's another way. And I'm going to find the most efficient way for you to minimize your investment to get the most out of being with God. And I'm not. I'm going to tell you the best way you discover who he is is sitting alone in the wilderness to discover who you are. And if you're not willing to face what's inside of you, you won't know how he can meet you to change it or fill you in it. Even just me stopping for a little while is probably making you sweat. Like, dude, hurry up, get to the rest of this thing. And I'm not that tired. I'm just doing this because I want you to be really clear 
If you and I don't learn how to slow down, we're in trouble. Do you know what people say when you have quiet? They say they're bored. They say they don't know what to do. They say they're anxious. Because you and I are so, basically we're so overstimulated, we don't know how to sit. And, and this is the invitation. It's to a place out in the wilderness. It's a place where we actually discover who we are and what's going on. And so we take it to Jesus' hunger, and then the enemy plays into it. The tempter, the devil, came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, I want you to see he is challenging his very identity. If you're really who you say you are, if you're really the son of God, if this is who you are, say you are, now you need to take advantage of this power and do something to help yourself. Make these stones bread. In other words, use your power to get what you want. Jesus came in the humility and lowliness to have his own baptism in repentance, to go through struggle and pain and heartache and suffering because the way he changes the world is through sacrifice and surrender, not through demand and making things happen. In other words, not using it to his own advantage. And that's the temptation, isn't it? That's at the core of appetite, by the way. It's I must have it and I must have it now. You understand that. I should, what I should have done was had like M&Ms out here and said, who wants some? And seen how you did. What I want you to see as well, and I'm going to show it to you in just a minute, is that in every one of these temptations, we'll have this one today and we'll do two more in the next two weeks, Jesus will refer back to some passages uh, from the Hebrew Bible. And I just want to show you this because I find it so interesting. Whether you're familiar with the whole Bible or not, the first five books of the Bible are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Whenever you tell somebody, read through the Bible, and they start there, they do okay when they get to Genesis because it's all this, it's a story of the being of time, it's a story of Abraham, it gets into Israel, it gets into some really fun, cool things. You get to Exodus, and now you're to Israel's being in bondage to Egypt and them coming out, which is, again, very cool. After you get past the Ten Commandments in the wilderness, now you have these chapters of descriptions of the temple God has them build. And unless you're a builder, most people go, click, I'm done. Why is there so much on this? Then you move into the joy of numbers, which is basically a listing of all the people and how they're counted and what they do. And there's meaning to it, but it's, again, not pleasure reading. Like, I don't think that's a whole advantage for me. Then you, that, well, I skipped Leviticus. You moved into Leviticus, which is basically all these laws and rules that people love to talk about today in little minutia. Like, well, why would you not eat shellfish? And why do you do this? And we read rules and go, I don't even get half of these rules. And a bunch of them are just about how to sacrifice animals. After that, in Numbers, and then the final one's Deuteronomy, which is a retelling, basically, of the laws you got in Leviticus. So I just want you to hear this because this is so interesting to me. The, the most quoted book by Jesus, meaning the one he utilized most in his teaching, is Deuteronomy. Now, I'm just curious. Show of hands, how many of you said, Deuteronomy, man, I love that book. That's the one I read all the time. We, not many of us do. It's like, oh, Deuteronomy. Hey, what are you reading today? I am really in the throes of Deuteronomy. It's just so good. What I want you to get is we don't even realize the joy of what's in there because we're so busy saying what matters and doesn't. So let me show you. He's completely in Deuteronomy in his response. But Deuteronomy also identifies what's happening in all of this. I mean, it gives us a picture of what's going on. And so I want you to see, it's going to explain the circumstance in Deuteronomy 8. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way into the wilderness these 40 years. Remember Jesus is in the wilderness 40 days. Israel out there 40 years, there's a connection here to humble you and test you in order that you would see what's in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. In other words, the wilderness reveals your heart. 
That's all he's saying. Now Jesus is going back to that. I want you to see I'm in the wilderness. This is to show what's in the heart. It's to reveal it. And make no mistake, when it says humble and test you, it's not so God can reveal it and go, gotcha. It's so God can reveal it and go, let me help you. Let me help you see what's in your heart. The wilderness itself is to show you what's in your heart. And let me say it again. Do you think you can find what's in your heart when you don't know how to slow down for anything? No, I'm asking you to answer me right now. Do you think you can find out what's in your heart when you're too busy to slow down for anything? No. You're right. Do you think we have a collective problem to know how to slow down? Yes. We do. Now, he's revealing this to us. It's showing what's in your heart, whether you'd keep them or not. He's also going through as the answer for how humanity can't deal with this. Now we take it back to Matthew's account. Jesus then answers. He's answering this accusation. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is the next verse in that Deuteronomy passage. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man doesn't live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. I just, I find this so fascinating. Not that just Jesus goes to it, but the, the beautiful picture of it. So in case you're not familiar with the story of Israel in the wilderness, they basically are in this place where God brings them out of slavery and then they don't have food and they're complaining, why did you do this? We could have died. And he provides supernaturally manna, which is basically this kind of bread that's sweeter that shows up every morning uh, from the dew and provides them food they never had before. Now, I want, I want you to understand this because this will go on into how Jesus talks and how he lives. In John chapter 6, uh, it's John's version of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And after he feeds all of them, in John's rendition, people follow him. And then they say, we, want, we think you're Messiah, we want to follow you. And he basically, this is a, it's a, one of the places Jesus talks about what we celebrate as communion. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part of me, but you need to basically feed on me. And he says, your fathers ate man in the wilderness and they died. I am the true food, basically what he says. Most of them leave. They don't want any part of it after that. And the reason is all they wanted was God to fill their appetite for food. They didn't actually want him to fill them. And that really matters because if we're going to talk about our appetites, we have to begin to discover what God gives us in feeding on him is better than what he gives us to satisfy our appetite itself. In other words, what he's promising is he himself is better and more than what we eat or do. It's a profound piece. I can't tell if you can see it or not, but I'm hoping so. That This is what he's telling us, is something beautiful happens on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In other words, we read Scripture, and this is where we're going today with this, is if we can't learn to engage in finding him in the Scripture and hear who he is there, we don't actually truly find him to be fed by him. But I want to be clear, we're not reading scripture to get a principle or an activity. We're reading to discover who he is. So, so I'll share it with you this way for me. Whatever I do at the beginning of the day seems to form how my day goes. So if I start with things that are even just distracting, my day tends to move into distraction. I find when I form myself by who God is and discover him, it forms things differently in my life and my day. In other words, when I read scripture and God reveals something, have you ever stopped and gone, I can't believe I just got something from God today? 
Like, I read a book and God spoke to me. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? But that's the way he feeds us. He feeds us through the very engaging in scripture, not to read it for a principle to, to discover him. So, so I want to be really clear. When we're going to face our appetites, it's not here's some verses to know so you know what to say. It's how do I get to discover who Jesus is by taking him in? And so I want to give you just a couple of simple ways to grow in this, kind of learning to feed on the word of God. And the first one is what we started with, which is just you have got to learn how to slow down and have places of quiet in your life. It is not going to work to say, I'll do it while I drive. I'll do it when I have this. I'm going to keep noise on all around me. You have got to learn to turn things off. Some of you should just eat a meal together and not have the TV on. Some of you should learn to not have three devices on during your day. And, and I'm saying this to me too in case you wonder. It's not like I don't do it. Sometimes we'll be sitting there and I'm like, am I looking at my phone while I'm watching a show and I'm doing something else? And, but let's be clear. If we don't learn to slow down, how are we ever going to learn what's inside of us and learn enough to hear from him. So I can tell you to read the Bible, but if I don't tell you to slow down, we're not gonna get there. First way we're gonna deal with appetites. The next thing is just to begin some kind of way to start reading. And I tell you, if you don't do something four times a week, it won't, it's not enough. Like we know this even from research. You gotta be at least at four times a day, or four times a week. Uh, Uversion and First 15 are two very simple programs and apps that we use that help people. And I'll tell you, the next step if you're doing that is to make it daily. And I always tell people to read slowly because you're not reading to get through it. You're reading for God to speak to you. Sometimes I find the days are bland and they go by. But there's days, and I go, I'm trusting God's met me in that. But there's days where I read and something grabs my attention and I just sit in that attention. What does this tell me about who God is? What does this tell me about who I am? What might God be saying to me? How does this help me know of his love? How does this help me to live differently? How is he speaking to me today? You're not running to get through. You're just sitting to be with. And the, the deepest level is a level of memorizing. I, I wish we understood this more. In our culture, we don't memorize. We, we Google it now. Oh, I don't need to know that. I'll just Google it. But you know that the scriptures teach that we're not just to love the Lord your God, we're to write about it on the doorposts of our houses, to talk about it when we lie down and when we get up. In essence, it's supposed to be upon our hearts, it says. And the sages taught that when you memorized, it was on your heart because it was constantly on your mind and eventually your heart opened up and it went inside. In other words, God wants to speak to you on the inside, but it won't happen if you don't sit in it and let him speak. You want to do nothing else, you should memorize this passage Today, uh, the whole idea that we don't live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, just sit in that. Let it sit in you and see what God does. And let me give you again this simple idea. It's in the desert we learn to feed on the words of Jesus. I'm inviting you to slow down and to discover and listen. Let me pray for us together. Lord, I ask that you would meet each of us today, that... As I did before, whatever I say, it's not from you, let it fall. But where we hear you saying, slow down and sit in this, open our hearts to see what's inside of us. And then, Lord, I pray we will be people that learn to hear from you and our mouths are filled by who you are, not by immediate needs. I ask this in your name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to worship to give us space to close out our time. And as we see who he is and his power, you're asking him to help you. 
Just ask him to speak as we're worshiping together and we'll celebrate communion as a part of this. That stands to fire. Sin's gonna lie to his knees. I've seen his praise unravel shackles right off my feet. Cause that's the power of your name, just a mention. seated for just a minute. Grab uh, the communion cups that you came in with. We want you to know it's open to anybody who wants to respond. We don't have a stipulation or a rule here. I, I want to remind you that communion itself is one of the great pictures we have of living on every word that comes from the mouth of God because Jesus is the living word and he comes and says, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, meaning take in who I am into your life. He didn't just come to forgive us, he came to fill us and change us from the inside out. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, and he gave thanks. He said, this is my body and it's given for you. In other words, I didn't just come to give you writings about me, I came to be here with you and to fill you and to lead you. And we take of his very presence. In the same way he took the cup, he said, it's a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. 
says, every time you do this, you remember that I'm here. You do this for what I've done. I've come to cleanse you and forgive you, to fill you and change you, to provide food and drink that actually satisfies you. Because anything else we take of eventually leaves us needing more. And this says, I'm more than enough. Let's take. Now, what I want to do to kind of seal this time is have you stand. I'm going to close your eyes for just a minute as you stand. And let yourself think about where are the areas in your life where your appetite has the best of you. You can't do this on your own. And I just want you to even ask the Lord, would you fill me and fill that appetite? Would you fill me with who you are where I keep saying I need this or I need that? And we're going to sing of his power and ask him to give you the power you need in the midst of your struggle. Let's worship together. blessing before you go. I want to remind you to keep asking God to help you and fill you and change you. I want to invite you back tomorrow night at 6 because we'll give some helps along the way even as we look ahead to the vision as we consider what it means to abide and be with him. Love to have you here at 6. And then I want to invite you, those of you who heard the whisper, who are ready to hear more about the running and the opportunity to help, especially those in need and those desperate uh, that Mallory will be down here after the service for 10 minutes. Maybe place your hands out and let me give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ continually fill you with his spirit. May he lead you into places of wilderness to show what's in your heart, to fill your heart and needs, and to transform you by his goodness and power for his glory and your joy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.